Hello, and you're very welcome back to another episode of History Now. Today's show, we're going to be speaking about public history, especially what that means for a divided society like our own. Joining me today is Dr. Alwyn Perdue from Queen's University, Belfast, who's here to talk about the role of a public historian in a divided society. Alwyn, welcome to the show. I'm really glad to have you on. You're involved in Queen's in public history. So public history is a, a, a term that people have heard before, but probably not familiar with the intricacies of it. So could you, first of all, tell us, give us a definition of public history and how public history has grown in an area in your time in Queen's? Okay, thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, public history is one of those things that, that you, you mention it to people and they look at you blankly and say, what's that? Uh, it's certainly not something that's been very familiar in Ireland and the UK really until I suppose the past 10 years or so um, when it started to emerge here as, as a, an aspect of, of um, academic study, of, of curricula in universities, etc. Um, it, it's for me, I suppose public history is very much about how history is used in the public sphere. It's, it's how it's used and how it's put to use. Um, in and um, by the public and and how it's communicated to a broad range of public audiences so very much I suppose about practical use of history and practical ways of, of engaging audiences that maybe otherwise wouldn't be very interested in in the past or maybe have very partial understandings of the past. Um, it's, it's taken off as I say in Ireland and in the UK probably within the last decade um, it's been around for a lot longer than that. Um, America, for example, North America, US and, and Canada, um, and also Australia and New Zealand. Public history has been a thing really since the 70s, the 1970s. Um, the National Council for Public History in the US runs its journal that's been going now for decades, the public historian. Um, but it's been something that's taken longer, I think, here to, to take off and to really become something that academics are engaged with. Okay, and um, so I mean, I, I suppose I came. Okay, sorry, and and you mentioned um, <laughs> the, the the examples of the United States and Australia, places like that. As public history has, has you know, grown, even, you know, within an Irish context or within Queens, did, did have, have any of those, the models in that's, those countries been adopted in, in or adapted in, in Queens? You know, we, we definitely have been influenced by what's happening in other parts of the world. I suppose when I, when I first came to Queens, 10 years ago now, gosh, um, I, at that stage, I was, one of the first things I was asked to take on was, was a new module, which was part of the MA in history at that stage. Um, and my colleague, Marie Coleman had, had set this up. Um, basically it was a public history internship. Um, and as I say, at that stage, nobody here really knew much about what public history was, but, but drawing on what was happening in the US and, and other places, um, that then very quickly took on a life of its own. Um, that module became incredibly successful in the, the history programme um, to the extent that we, we won a teaching award for it. 
Um, and then several years ago, 2018, we actually launched a standalone Masters in Public History, which is completely separate. And I think as it's evolved over those 10 years, we are increasingly drawing from what's happening in other parts of the world and interested in how it manifests itself in other contexts. Um, so if you look, I think, at the way um, public history is conceived of and um, practiced in, for example, the US, there it's very much about um, communicating history to public audiences and it's seen almost as something that happens outside of academia. So it's, it's national parks, it's, it's museums, where history happens in those spaces. Um, and I suppose what we're doing here at Queen's and I think what's happening in other um, universities in the UK and in Ireland is we're exploring those ways of looking at history but also it's, it's taken on a little bit of a life of its own here and I think taken on um, new aspects that maybe weren't so much the case say in the US or in, in Australia. Um, so I think as it developed in, a, in the UK and in Ireland it became more something that that are actually it's become more of an academic subject in its own right or the subfield I suppose of history um, and here at Queen's I think yet again it's taken on something different again and in terms of we, we do look quite a lot at what role history plays in uh, divided societies mm -hmm. um, and, and the part that public history in particular can play in, in divided or post-conflict societies so we're quite interested in that and from that aspect actually taking some influence and from places like South Africa that have seen conflict in the past and where public history initiatives are actually very important in terms of conflict resolution. Yeah I, I know I would like to go on to that that theme but just you mentioned it's you know relatively new here it's something that's maybe associated with outside of academia, as you've mentioned. Are there any critics within academia who, you know, maybe have criticisms of public history? And I suppose what, the, what your response to that would be? There, there have been critics. Um, I think more so in the past when it first started to become something that universities here were, were starting to, to adopt, um, I suppose, some historians would, would see it as a dumbed down version of history in many ways, you know, presented it in that way as history light. Um, others have tended maybe to see it as just, well, it's the kind of thing historians are supposed to do, which is engaging with public audiences, you know, reaching public audiences with your work, and we know that as impact. Um, and as the impact agenda has become more and more important in the, the UK, a lot of historians would sort of see you know what they do in terms of impact as being public history um, and, and that's the end of it but I think increasingly as, as, as more and more people are exploring what public history really means um, and people are seeing the ways in which new research is emerging as a result of engagement and collaboration and working with external partners um, people are I think really seeing the benefits of it and I think there is more value academic scholarly value being attributed to it now and it's taken more seriously. Um, personally you think you know what would I say to critics I would say that, that public history is a hugely important subject. I think understanding how the past is used, how it's abused, um, I mean we see that in Northern Ireland all the time, um, the way in which 
you know, simplistic versions of the past are presented on gable walls and, you know, in folklore and songs and by politicians, you know, everybody uses the past to validate themselves in different ways. And it, it, the nuance is stripped out of it. The past is presented in really simplistic ways. Um, and I think it's a real danger in that. So I think scholars, historians have a real duty, as it were, to, to actually engage in the public sphere and engage public audiences in exploring and understanding the past in a way that is more complex, um, that, that sort of adds depth and colour to those very simplistic narratives. And especially in Northern Ireland, where you, you get this binary, it's them and us, their history versus our history, um, that it's so important for us to work in that space, I think, and to challenge those ways in which the past can be abused. Okay. And you mentioned, of course, the public, the public play an important role in this. So would you say then that public history is much more of a collaborative effort than, you know, for want of a better term, standard academic history? Absolutely. Um, I think collaboration is the key to public history. And I think that's why it is so important. Um, that's what makes public history, I think, so powerful. Um, and certainly here at Queen's, we have, we're really, we can benefit tremendously from partnerships with all sorts of organisations and institutions that are working in the public sphere. So we, we have a very close relationship with the Ulster Museum, um, with Belfast City Council, with Linen Hall Library Prony, you know, National Trust Hillsborough Castle, and so it goes on, um, and, and with community groups as well. And I think that collaboration um, is so beneficial because it leads to exciting new research that, that is actually driven very often by, by the interest of the academic, but by also the needs of the collaborator, by the, the partner that we're working with. So, you know, we are seeing really, really interesting research starting to emerge now that's working very much in the community, for the community, uh, with the community. And, and that's enriching, I think, the offering here in terms of museums, tourism, heritage, um, but it's also from an academic perspective, I think, enriching and giving new value to our research. Um, and, you know, it's not just in Northern Ireland, you can see that all over the world. I mentioned South Africa earlier, and it, I think there's some fantastic examples of collaboration there where scholars in, for example, Wits University in Johannesburg are working with museums to engage young people, um, groups of young people in the townlands of Soweto and exploring their local history and, and articulating their past. And it's, it's a way in which you'll, you'll engage with and reach people and groups and audiences that I don't think normally academics really have the opportunity to engage with. So there's value for everybody in it. Um, certainly here in Belfast, you know, I've personally been really um, privileged to be part of the Ulster Museum's advisory panel for the, the Troubles and Beyond Gallery and also their Irish History Galleries. Um, and also we're working with the Great Place North Belfast project with all the really small uh, local archives in, in North Belfast um, and again to, to develop their archives and to reach new audiences with, with what they have to offer. So yes, this real value and collaboration uh, is very much at the heart of what we do. Yeah. And if we could just mention, you know, the Ulster Museum and museums like that, like publicly funded museums, especially in a place mm -hmm. like you know, here or South Africa, as you've mentioned, 
and you know the, the challenges that they have of, of you know portraying or tackling divided histories could we, could we talk a bit about that you know what the challenges are yeah i mean it's it's, it's difficult in some ways people like at state-funded institutions uh, and envy them because their funding is not necessarily guaranteed but it's stable at least um, and certainly at the moment, if we you know, take the context of COVID, when um, lots of people, organisations that are dependent on, for example, um, visitors for their income rather than state funding are staying closed while the Ulster Museum uh, and other places are able to open. So, you know, people will, will look at the state funding and say, oh, I wish I had some of that. But with that comes real, I think, challenges. Um, for a start, you know, the state funding is very often shaped by government priorities, um, by whenever particular sets of ideologies are driven, you know, by, by sort of those in power. Um, so that can have an impact on what museums can do. But I think you mentioned Northern Ireland and other divided societies, and I think in those contexts in particular, it's very very difficult for such um, organisations to articulate a narrative of the past when that narrative is deeply contested by the people who live in that particular area. Um, and I think we've, we've seen that in, in the Austrian Museum. What, what it tends to drive sometimes is risk aversion. Um, there's a, a, a risk, sort of a, a, a reluctance to take any chances to, to do things that might offend. Um, and we've seen that in the past. I think anybody who visited the old Austin Museum Troubles Gallery, as was over the last 10 years, um, which was simply black and white photographs um, and not much else, um, we'll see how in an attempt to not offend anybody, they ended up not pleasing anybody either because you came away from that feeling that you hadn't gained anything. You weren't challenged, um, nothing actually, you know, resonated I suppose. Um, I thankfully the Ulster Museum has addressed that, um, I think addressed it very effectively with the new Troubles and Beyond Gallery that was opened a couple of years ago. Um, and I think they have adopted the, um, the ethos and the ideology that, that museums are not and never can be neutral spaces. Um, it's wrong to try and be neutral but what you do need to do is to challenge but provide a safe environment in which you can challenge you can ask difficult questions you can make people feel uncomfortable um, but also that, that, that there's enough there for people also to feel that their history is not being overlooked it's not being negated in some way but actually that their past is there as well um, as i say i think the Austin Museum has done that incredibly effectively. Um, what they now have is this wonderfully rich collections-based exhibition that, that not just speaks about the reality of the conflict for people who live through it, but also just the everyday, you know, yeah. stiff little fingers, concert tickets, um, parking restrictions, just the things that people live through, as well as, you know, the political posters, uh, uh, the bomb disposal machine, and other very stark images of the troubles. So. Yeah. I think that's that's a very important thing, and and the framing of that too, the troubles and beyond, did, was that uh, you know a, a deliberate um, title to encapsulate what was wider life at the time? Absolutely, um, I think the the curators and you know Karen Logan was particularly involved in this, um, and William Blair and, and others, 
uh, I think there was a very clear decision there that it wasn't just about the troubles. I mean, it was important that, that the museum addressed what the troubles was about, what led you know, society into conflict, and also what processes actually helped society out of, of conflict. And I think that was very important. But yes, it was about everyday life beyond the, the experience of the conflict. But also, I think the beyond bit is important because it's going beyond the walls of the museum. And one of the things that's been central to the development of the gallery and the collections is very much community engagement. So the curators have been taking collections out into communities and working with communities and through that actually engaging communities in the work that they're trying to do. Um, so going beyond the walls of the museum, which is very, very important. Um, so they're doing that effectively. And also I think when we, we think about beyond, it's, it's what's next, where are we as a society going next? Um, and I think the, the Troubles Gallery, as it is at the minute, is the start of a, an iterative process. I think it actually plays an important role in in developing society post-conflict. Um, so I think the beyond is also looking into the future. Yeah. So you, you've mentioned that the, the parts of the exhibitions being taken out to community groups. There's been a real rise in the last number of years of community-run um, museums, small museums. What What is the role of the, the public historian in relation to those? And the, the role of the public historian, um, I suppose, is it, it differs uh, from, from one situation to another. Um, I, I think when we talk about community-run museums, there's such a spectrum there. Um, there's the very small, uh, very bespoke museums that, that are uh, focused very much on one theme or very much on one community. Um, it's something certainly that the I think it's one of the things that in our Masters in Public History we really encourage our students to think about um, and we really benefit from being able to take students to visit different community-run museums. So we go to the Museum of Free Dairy that focuses on the Bogside, on the events of Bloody Sunday and on the, you know, the process beyond that um, to, to sort of basically you know, come to some kind of resolution there. Um, so that is a museum for a particular purpose for you know, telling one story that the people who have set it up feel very strongly about and that's a powerful experience. Um, we then take them to the uh, Siege Museum um, run by the Apprentice Boys, also a stone's throw away in Derry. Uh, and again that's another community telling their history of, of you know, Derry and its past and, and how they perceive it. And I think there's a place for museums such as that. Um, museums that are free to, to tell a particular story in a particular way um, and to basically put their interpretation on it. I think the role of the public historian, and this is what we're trying to, I suppose, encourage our students to think about is how we navigate those, how we interpret those spaces um, and you know, how, I suppose, somebody coming to visit uh, a site such as any of those, or the many ones in Belfast as well, and um, that have a very specific agenda in many ways, um, how you start then to put that into a broader context. Um, and again, I think the public historian works in those spaces to sometimes challenge, uh, to ask questions, to probe a little bit, uh, and again, to try and encourage nuance um, and maybe a, a broader understanding. But 
um, I think that's not, that's not to say that there's a lot of incredibly um, interesting work happening now in communities in, in Belfast, in other cities and in other countries. Um, that, that's very loving a particular area to develop the history of the particular area or particular community. And I think the public historians should be working alongside uh, those communities, those groups, those individuals, um, bringing the skills where the skills are there, um, and developing resources, uh, capacity for people wherever they are, um, whatever background, to try and develop their own histories. Yeah. And there's there's one, um, well, not just one, but there's many, you know, more avenues for public history at, at the moment, and especially with collections now, you're looking at, you know, oral histories, you know, photographic histories. You've mentioned how the, the Troubles 2009 exhibition differs very much from, you know, the 2018 Troubles and Beyond. Right throughout, you know, these small museums, the publicly funded museums, you have lots of mediums, you know, recorded public histories, uh, mm -hmm. video clips, things like that. Could you talk about how the public historian addresses those new, sort of new mediums? Mm. I mean, I think that's one of the exciting things about public history is that there are so many different ways in which you can um, get out the past and, and develop a, a better understanding of the past. And it's not just public historians, obviously, it's historians in general are increasingly having access to um, a broad range of sources. So we're moving away very much from the traditional archival sources that um, many of us spend so much time working on. Um, I think oral history in particular is, is very exciting. It's, it's been around for a long time. It, it's been well established um, as, as a means of developing historical knowledge for a long time but it's exciting to see that taking off very much at community level um, and there's some really um, ex exciting work happening at community level um, where people are developing their own oral histories where people are being encouraged to develop their own public history photographic collections or run exhibitions and you know we're seeing historic of Belfast and lots of other small but growing uh, initiatives that are really exciting um, so I think the public historian um, whether they're in academia or whether they are, you know, working in a community, um, there are so many different ways in which you can come at the past. And I think it's about encouraging people to, to think of and look at as many different ways as possible of understanding and articulating the past. And obviously at the minute TV as well, you know, there's an awful lot of opportunity for, for people to work um, TV, online, blogs, uh, as you say, photographic archives as well. There's just, you know, there's lots of opportunity there. And I think, again, going back to your question, but earlier, collaboration enables um, academics and um, other people just to work together to really bring these histories out and communicate them to wider audiences. There, there's one, if it just can, can bring that up, um, the Unlocking Our Sound Heritage project that's in Ulster mm -hmm. Museums. Do you think that, you know, we, with things like that, you know, especially oral histories and audio clips that are a couple of generations ago, do you think, you know, people can engage with that more? Because there's there's very, you know, good chance that the people, in, you know, who, the audience knows people within the archive. Do you think that that personal, you know, touch means mm -hmm. a lot, especially in public history? I think 
it, it, it does all right i mean i think when people hear stories that they can relate to um that um that they're interested in because it resonates with them and as you say this is a small place and who knows you might even know the person who's you know the story you're listening to it encourages other people to talk as well uh, and to share their stories um and i've seen that done very effectively and in a few different uh contexts and one one i thought was really interesting is the ground zero museum in, in new york um where people after they've been through the exhibition that looks at what happened in 9 11 um then have the opportunity to reflect on their experiences of that day um and some of their stories have been very effectively then fed into the the exhibition itself so there are spaces where um people talk about the, the experience of, of 9-11 and just little snippets of people's stories sentences of people's recollections come up silently on on a screen um that is so effective because that makes it real that that's the stories of ordinary everyday real people uh, and i think that then encourages other people who have been through the exhibition to tell their story as well so i think oral history is incredibly powerful um and she say you know the, the ulster museums initiative is, is is a wonderful example of that i think the prison's history archive as well is, is another example of unlocking stories from the past that we're in danger of losing you know generations are dying away and the stories um are in danger of going so it's so essential to capture them at this point yeah now, you, you've mentioned, you know, the, the, the smaller museums, which are community based in our society, that's either, you know, one community or another. There's perhaps a perception that the historian, you know, occupies a middle ground in, in this regard. Is it hard, you know, or should the public historian be neutral in, you know, in, you know, looking at different communities in the small you know, small scale like that? Um, it is a difficult thing. I mean, it's a challenge because, as you say, so much of those initiatives that are happening tend to be community-based. And the nature of our society is then that it's going to be uh, one side or the other very often. Um, I think the public historian does have a really important role to play and not just saying there is two sides and we're going to navigate between them, but actually there's much more than that. Um, there are stories there that aren't being told at all. If you look, for example, uh, at the ethnic minorities um, in, in Northern Ireland at the minute, I mean, where are their stories being articulated? Where is the story of, of people who've come to live here within the, the past decade or the past hundred years? Where's that being told? Um, so I think that the, the role of the public historian is to, is to disrupt the very simplistic binaries that exist in terms of how history is articulated and told in our society. Um, and that can be done in lots of different ways. I mean, one of the, one of the things that, that I find has been really interesting, I had the opportunity several years ago to work with um, Green Shoots Productions and Martin Lynch um, in developing a, a small project with young people from uh, two different communities in Northern Ireland. So we had a group of young people from East Belfast and a group of uh, young people from North Belfast. Um, and you know they they grew up with the very 
narrow, I suppose, in some ways, view of the past. Um, and, and when they tend to think of the history of, of Belfast, the history of Northern Ireland, they think of conflict, they think of division, they think of them and us. Um, and what we were able to do was work on uh, something around a project around 1932, which is when, you know, it's a time of extreme unemployment, extreme poverty in Belfast. Um, and at one point, you know, Catholics from the Falls and Protestants from the Shangle came together to actually campaign uh, and fight for better welfare provision in the city. And so taking that particular moment in history, we encouraged the young people to learn more about their community, everyday life in the 1930s and 40s, uh, in particular, the challenges of growing up um, and, and trying to sort of raise a family um, during those times. So there was a lot of interviewing grandparents and hearing people's stories and stuff. And they came together to share what they'd learned. And what was so exciting about that was that they realized from sharing each other's stories just how much they had in common. You know, and it was the everyday life, the reality of living in very difficult circumstances, the reality of trying to feed kids and put shoes on their feet and things like that, that united rather than divided. Um, so I think very often to really get alongside people um, and to encourage uh, and at different ways of looking at the past that, that challenges those binaries. So certainly I think there are ways in which public historians can work that really helps to, to break down some of those barriers that you talk about. Okay, and Owen, so we're coming to the end of the interview. I would just like to know what public history um, projects that you have going on. I know you've, you've been working a lot and been on TV in relation to the workhouse. So what, what's next for you? Mm -hmm. Well, um, this is quite a lot going on at the minute, Barry, and lots of plans for the future. Um, so yes, I've been doing some work in the workhouse. Um, I'm actually really enjoying, again, uh, doing some work uh, among communities in Belfast, looking at the history of poverty, um, the, the history of, of the workhouse and experiences of the workhouse. Um, I've also been doing some work in Jordan. Um, which seems like a far cry from Belfast, but actually, again, looking at, at um, the histories of people whose stories aren't normally told um, and people who feel very much excluded from the official historical narrative, and that's been very exciting. Um, I think where I want to go next, really, as you say, the workhouse is very much on my mind at the minute. I'm just finishing up a book on children in the workhouse in 19th century Belfast. Um, so the next public history project that I'm planning is to take that history of, of welfare, of poverty, um, into the streets of Belfast to try and explore with communities in Belfast their experience of, of everyday life, um, of, of engaging with welfare institutions and, and the reality of um, sort of living in, in, in poverty, I suppose, um, in 20th century Belfast. Uh, and the purpose of that would be to develop a, a website, um, an interactive website with multimedia resources attached to it. Um, but that's that's next. Finish the book first. Okay. Alwyn, thank you very much. That, that was great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out to come and speak to me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.